Hey folks, Ryan Kennedy here. Welcome back to the show. My guest on today's episode is Luke Pavasevich, who is a naturopath and clinician based in Australia. And I heard an interview with Luke a few weeks back, and this dude is a wealth of information. So I had to invite him onto the podcast because I had a bunch of questions for him and I knew he'd share a ton of value with all the listeners. So he's got quite the backstory. Luke has lived through numerous addictions, severe pain and suffering, and he came to the understanding that if he wanted to be happy and really help other people, then he needed to address his own flaws and his own weaknesses first in order to create that stable and clear vessel so that he can continue helping others. I'm a huge proponent of this, as many of you know. I see so many health professionals and these influencers and people in the health and wellness and fitness space who simply don't practice what they preach especially in the medical profession. I mean, you go to see a medical doctor in the United States here and they're overweight, they drink, they smoke. It's like, how are you, there's, there's, there's a lack of congruency uh, with what they're doing for a living and their actual lifestyle. So Luke is the opposite of that. And for 10 years, he's been working daily to address every aspect of his health, mental, emotional, physical. And through this journey, he now runs Alchemic Health and he helps others uh, do the same. So Luke, welcome to the show, my man. Thank you, Ryan, and thank you for that great uh, intro. You bet. So there are a dozen of different directions I could take this conversation, but I wanted to start by discussing the topic of longevity. You know, the field of anti-aging, it's really exploded over the last decade or so. And I want to give my listeners some insight on how they can live a long, healthy life. You know, that's what we all want. We want to feel good and have a high quality of life, but we also want to be here to see our grandkids and to have, you know, a long life. So to kick that off, I'd like you to discuss some of the main mechanisms that really cause accelerated aging. You know, what are the primary issues people face as we get older that causes a, this deterioration in their health? Well, there's a number of aspects that uh, come into play when it comes to aging. Uh, the main thing that I've seen in my lifetime or my studying is one thing that we don't really address, we can go through the biochemical things, but one thing that people don't really understand is your, the way you think and your emotional state actually affects your biology and how your biology functions. Um, we have our DNA and we have our genetics, but um, there's also epigenetics, which is the environment that you create within yourself and around you will dictate how your cells will function, despite what your genes are and all that kind of stuff, because genes can be activated in thousands of different ways, depending on the environment that you give them. So that's one thing I want to make people aware of is that what studies they've shown in studies with people when they've gone to, um, you know, the, the monks and Tibetan monks, these people, you know, they say they've lived to probably 120 years, but they look 70 years old. And they ask them these questions, what's allowed you to have this long life? And it's a still heart, love for others and compassion. And then through their studies, what they've found is um, with these emotional states, you most likely are releasing telomerase because the emotional state from the heart that releases it in the pineal gland and that will actually allow your uh, telomeres to lengthen and then you have more cell division and you can actually live a longer life. So that's one way you can address it without any substances. Um, but then we can go into actually the telomere length. So obviously with telomeres, it's uh, the, we have the telomeres which is the capping at the end of our um, chromosomes and as our cell divides through a process called mitosis these telomeres get shorter uh, and they're a protective capping at the end of our chromosomes too to protect our dna uh, and as they get shorter you're open to up uh, to dna mutations 
um, and you know uh, the protein transcriptions don't work out well. So to lengthen telomeres, we can um, address it by two ways. Obviously, the emotional aspect. We can also address it through peptide therapies, um, which is a, a peptide called Apitalin. Um, it's produced. It's found in Russia, and they've done studies more in Russia about uh, with this um, compound, and it mimics uh, your, uh, an, a peptide within your body. And that peptide also releases the telomerase enzyme, and then your telomeres will lengthen. Uh, the other thing that doesn't require injections, because peptides generally are with injections, is cycloastragalanol. So it comes from a herb that we use in naturopathy called astra, um, uh, astragalus. And this compound out of this herb has been shown to help lengthen telomeres. It also helps cardiovascular health. Um, it helps a, an array of different things. So primarily they've looked in the studies um, as a telomere lengthener and it has been doing some pretty, pretty amazing things. So the studies with that are still ongoing, um, but from what I can see from the paper so far, it's really, really interesting. Yeah, makes, makes sense. I mean, astragalus being an adaptogenic herb and what you shared prior of this stress, mental, emotional, physical stress being such a yeah. primary culprit that accelerates That's aging. Right. So being able to have these one lifestyle practices, but also herbal therapeutics or other otherwise to kind of monitor or slow down that stress response in the body is tremendously helpful. And I love that you shared on epigenetics, because I think so many people have been misled to believe that you're a victim of your genes, that you're either born lucky or unlucky. And, you know, if you have this that runs in your family, it's a problem. And I actually tell a, a little joke with some of the people I work with, because they come to me and they're, you know, during our initial consultation, they're like, Ryan, you know, like, I... I really am suffering from this, you know, type two diabetes and, or, or let's say obesity, for example, like I'm suffering because I'm overweight. And the problem is, you know, everyone in my family is overweight. Obesity runs in my family. And I always tell them, you know, listen, the problem is not that obesity runs in your family. The problem is that nobody runs in your family. You know, they're not doing any exercise. Like, and if you adopt the same poor lifestyle characteristics, you're going to see these trends. And, exactly. you know, Dr. Bruce Lipton being a real pioneer in the field of epigenetics and discussing how well over 90% of your long-term health is dictated by your day-to-day -day choices, your environment, your inputs, what you choose, really you're, you're in control of your fate. And I think it's important That's for people exactly to, right. to understand that because they, the medical system tries to take back control and try and say, oh, you have this genetic SNP. This is going to give you a higher susceptibility of let's say breast cancer. And then they try and convince women to do, you know, double mastectomy. And it's like, that's so backwards to try and do yeah. this extreme procedure just because you have this one genetic expression that doesn't necessarily have to be signaled into an on position if you do the right lifestyle changes. And so exactly. it's, exactly. it's, I'm glad you brought that up because it's such a big driver of saying like, Hey, you know, and, and for me personally, I could say, you know, cancer runs in my family or these chronic illnesses run in my family, but I don't have the least concern of those illnesses because I make completely different choices than my parents and grandparents made when it comes to how I take care of my health. That's correct. And we have, uh, we're predisposed to certain things with our genetics, but it doesn't mean they're actually going to eventuate to that. And a, a lot of people as well think, oh, I've, I've inherited these genetics from my parents, but you've also inherited their emotional mental state that also activates those genes. So it's not just our genetics, it's also what we pick up from those ages from zero to seven, when we get programmed or when we're a kid, that we pick up those traits from our parents. And those traits, just like you said, your patient is obese. He's picked up the eating traits and emotional traits from his parents that he's probably eating that way to 
uh, hide some emotions or a mental um, you know, ailments within himself that causes him to be obese. So there's a lot of factors that come in, in, into play with these things. Um, but yes, we're definitely not dictated by our genetics. Um, yep. We can actually overwrite those and reprogram those. So that's a very, very interesting thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's very empowering, you know, to understand that you're in control of your, your long-term destiny. It's not up to whatever, you know, genetic predisposition you were born with. Um, so I, I, I like that we touched on that. Another thing I wanted to dive into in this topic of, of slowing down the aging process, you, you mentioned a few targeted, uh, you know, nutrients and, and compounds. And then you mentioned peptides, which just for people listening in are sequences of amino acids that can be uh, very powerful signaling agents in the body. But I'm, I'm curious what, uh, from a lifestyle perspective, have you found to be just kind of low hanging fruit, like what people really need to prioritize if they want to live a long, healthy life? Okay, so one thing is obviously regular sleep cycles and good sleep. Obviously yep. we regenerate most of the time, most of our regeneration in, is in our sleep. People don't understand that, <clears throat> unfortunately, we shift workers. It's going to be very hard for them to do this. Mm -hmm. But if we regulate our sleep cycle, so I'm, I do 10 p.m. till 7 a.m. That's generally my sleep time. I make sure that's regular now. My emotional state is a lot better. They've shown that you're, you have low anxiety, uh, low mental illness. If you have those regular sleep cycles, even if you go to bed later and you still wake up at 7 a.m., even if you're getting that shorter sleep, Keeping that regularity will help keep your circadian rhythms in check and that will help regulate, <clears throat> excuse me, a lot of other things within your body, your hormones, your, your neurotransmitters, all these things will start to regulate properly. So this is one uh, lifestyle factor you can incorporate and it's a simple one to make sure that you uh, gain the best um, longevity effects. Even if you're finding that you're having uh, not, not the best sleep, having um, a supplement melatonin and I don't suggest this to everyone. And sometimes uh, they say that, oh, don't take this because it can stop your own production if you take it too often. There's no real data to say that, but it's more speculation at the moment. Um, I personally take it nearly every night for the fact that I just like to get to sleep easy. I find it regulates my sleep better. And the fact that melatonin is a really powerful antioxidant um, that unfortunately with a lot of EMFs going on, mobile phones, cell towers and stuff like that, they found in studies that these EMFs um, will actually affect the production of melatonin. Uh, and this is why we'll find that, um, and this is, they think it's the, one of the primarily, prim, primary things that will exacerbate cancers when you're around EMFs is because the melatonin isn't being produced. Yep. I want so to, melatonin, yeah, I want yeah. to share a few things on my, my belief on melatonin, because you're right, a lot of people have this notion that if you start supplementing with it, you know, taking a few milligrams, uh, every night, your, your body becomes reliant on it. Uh, but I actually looked at some good research showing that unlike other hormone, other, other hormone replacement therapies, like if you were to take testosterone or progesterone or what have you, melatonin actually doesn't work like that. And I've done my own, you know, clinical kind of observations in this realm of having people start on melatonin, because like you said, it's one of the most powerful antioxidants in the body, it exerts powerful anti-cancer effects, and has just widespread benefits. And I've had them on melatonin daily in the neighborhood of three to five milligrams every night for upwards of six to nine months without missing a single day. And then as we start to correct the underlying issues with their circadian rhythmicity by adjusting their day uh, light exposure during the day with proper sensible sun exposure, mitigating artificial blue lights and junk lights in the evenings, incorporating a good sleeping environment and so on and so forth, they actually don't need the melatonin anymore. So they naturally yeah, exactly. realize that in the way that I found people 
take melatonin and realize they don't need it is if it makes you really groggy in the morning. If you feel like you have trouble waking up, getting out of bed the next morning after taking it versus not taking it, it's an indication you don't need it. Your, your body's yeah. producing adequate amounts. So I've had people and myself included, I've done this experiment of just having melatonin three to five milligrams every night for months on end, and then going completely to cold turkey and having zero downsides to my sleep quality. I think what happens a lot of times in this anecdotal evidence is a placebo or a nocebo yeah. where people yeah. think they become psychologically addicted to it because they think I need the melatonin. And then they have like a trouble falling asleep for two minutes and they get in their own head. And then that, you know, cascades yeah. into them thinking, man, without the melatonin, I can't sleep. But there's not really much physiological addiction happening from the research I've looked at. I haven't found that either. I've had even nights where I, I put the melatonin tablet on my bedside table, think that I've taken it, wake up in the morning and go, oh, hang on, I didn't take it. And there's a pain, you know, I got to sleep the same time and no, no issues at all. So yeah, I've noticed the same thing. I really don't think the body becomes dependent on it. No. Have you, do you have any particular forms of melatonin, like a liposomal form or a sustained release or anything that you use that no, you like? I, I'll just use instant release really. Um, okay. I've used um, sustain, uh, like a sustained release one, but I found I was more groggy in the morning because you're obviously getting that, that um, you know, the lengthened release of the melatonin. I, I'm cool with just three milligrams instant release and that works fine for me. Yeah. yeah. It's a very inexpensive supplement. I find it, it helps is. so many people because as we age, our uh, pineal gland naturally secretes less and less melatonin as we get older. So yeah. not only does it support sleep, but the plethora of other benefits that you mentioned associated with melatonin in the body. So I think that's a really good tip for people uh, to start to really address their, their sleep quality. Yeah, you definitely, track, definitely. do you track your sleep with any, any devices like an oar ring or a whoop strap? I, you, yeah, I did, did it with Fitbit for a little while. Um, you know, and, and it's good to see what kind of sleep you get. Um, obviously you want to have good REM sleep to deep sleep, you know, light sleeps. They're all, they're all beneficial. Um, I was noticing at the time I wasn't getting as much REM sleep. Um, but now it's a lot better. And obviously with REM sleep helps memory processing and, uh, and everything like that in the brain. And my memory has gotten better as I've been working on trying to sort out that REM sleep. So that was, yeah, it's good to track it. Um, I think everyone should just to get an idea of what's happening in their sleep. Cause you could be like, oh, I'm getting great sleep, but you know, some people have really not, you know, oh, hang on, got all these issues in life. And then you look at their sleep and they're not really getting those, those, um, there's certain amounts in each, each stage. Well, one so, thing yeah, it's, one thing I found by tracking my own sleep and tracking sleep for hundreds of, of people over the years using an aura ring is that a lot of people associate time in bed with time asleep. They're like, yeah. okay, Ryan, I went to bed at 10 p.m. I woke up at 5 a.m. I got seven hours of sleep. And when they start tracking it, they quickly realize even if they have pretty good sleep latency, even if they have pretty good sleep quality where they're not waking up throughout the night, you are still not going to have anywhere close to 100% efficiency. You're going to be good if you have 90% efficiency. So I find with a lot of folks, myself included, if, I, if I'm in bed for eight hours, and I, I knock out quick, I don't wake up during the night, I'll still land somewhere around seven and a half hours of actual sleep. And that's one thing I found the sleep trackers are very enlightening on is for people, like you said, your, your sleeping window being from 10 to seven, mine is somewhat similar. Uh, but in that nine hours, I get eight hours of quality rest. I don't get the full nine hours because that's just damn near impossible with the way our bodies yeah. function. So yeah. I think that's another important thing to note. And I do find that uh, sleep trackers are, are beneficial because what gets measured gets managed. And like you yeah. said, similar to junk food, you get junk sleep and you can fall asleep and <laughs> yeah. be in bed for nine or 10 hours, wake up feeling like trash because you're not getting into those deeper stages of sleep. So just to kind of wrap up the sleep kind of tangent, 
any other tips you found to be tremendously beneficial or helpful to focus on with anyone that's listening in who's like, oh, that's me. I fall asleep. I'm in bed for nine hours, but I wake up and I feel fatigued and drowsy all day. Uh, the, the things that I get people to take notice of is when they sleep is if they wake up, what time they wake up. Um, because in naturopathy, as you know, we have certain times that the organs will be more energetic uh, or, or purging themselves, so to, so to speak. Generally, I, I notice a lot of people when I consult them, they'll, I'll ask them what time and they'll go, oh, generally I'm two to three o'clock and that's the liver hour. So if we, if we find that we're waking up at a certain time every night, um, it's take note of that. And then we can look, and then if you consult a naturopath or even look into it yourself, you can find what organ is under stress or burden. And then you can actually address that and that may most likely help your sleep. So it's really interesting to, to take be aware of these things. How many times you go to the toilet um, if you wake up at night? If you wake up at night, is it just because you're stimulated? Um, all these things, we need to take notice and then note those down and you can really get a good idea of why my sleep is being affected. Um, even if it is in the liver hour, it doesn't mean necessarily that your liver's damaged by alcohol or whatever you do, it could be the fact that you're really stressed and the liver expresses that by not functioning properly or not um, the energetics of it not, not working and that will come out during your sleep. Generally, I'll address the stress and that will address the liver burden and then people sleep a lot more soundly. So, yeah. Yeah, I love that. And, you know, kind of continuing on this tangent of lifestyle variables that really, really impact the aging process. We got some targeted nutrients. We got sleep. What else is high, high up on your list? Fasting, fasting. I fasting. do intermittent fasting every day. I, um, as male, with males, we're meant to fast more. Um, unfortunately, a lot of the studies, it is male-based. We yep. don't really see much female-based uh, studies. My partner and I, well, I've been fasting, uh, intermittent fasting every day. Uh, I do the 16-8 diet. So I don't start eating till probably 12, 2 o'clock in the day, and I'll finish around 8, 10 o'clock at night. Preferably, I'll start at 12 and finish earlier um, because the later it is, I, I find that it, you don't get as much benefit from it. Um, works great for me. I work out and fast the states as well. I think males should really work at doing that because a lot of males in the gym, they go, oh, I need to eat something and I'll have energy in the gym. You've programmed your body to be like that. If you go with the way your, your genetics or how our physiology works, which is we're meant to get up, we're meant to exercise primarily in a fasted state, then eat and go on a, on a business, you'll find that after two to four weeks, you, your body will change and you'll have so much more energy in a faster state. And I actually went to the gym a few times recently when I, you know, at the end of the day, because I couldn't, you know, go in the morning and I was more tired, even though I had food in my stomach. So I've really, you know, programmed it differently now. But yes, males are meant to fast. Um, but when it comes to females, not so much. Because um, they, of how their hormones work, they, they fluctuate so much. Females need to eat differently every week based on where they are within their menstrual cycle. Um, and then if they're fasting, that can actually put more stress on their hormones and then that can actually affect their reproductive systems. Yep. So, you know, males and females need to work differently with this, but fasting is one of the best things that I've seen work for my patients and myself in terms of longevity. It helps, you know, increase 
the release of human growth hormone, with you, which is another really good compound for, they call it the fountain of youth. I don't believe it is, but it does help the way you look and feel as well. Sure. Um, but yeah, fasting is amazing. It's an easy thing to incorporate. You know, it might be hard for people to get used to it, but it is an easy thing without supplements you can incorporate that will have dramatic effects. Yeah, I love that you shared that with the, the bit about women being different, because I teach all my female students and patients about really syncing up their meal timing and nutrition choices, and also their training and other lifestyle variables with what's called their infradian rhythm, which is their 28 day cycle, where their hormones are completely different places at different times of the month. And so much of the research, like you shared, is done on men, and it doesn't take this into account. So when you start to create this variability, based on the woman, based on where she's at in her cycle, it is so much more effective long-term than just trying to stick to some harsh eating window all 30 days of the month. And the other thing I wanted to note, which I did an entire episode on intermittent fasting and meal timing for people to check out and dedicate an entire chapter of my book on this, is I find, and you'll have to tinker with this, Luke, and see how it works for you. I find it works so much better to push that eating window forward and front load your intermittent fasting because of the deleterious effects of late night food when it comes to our circadian rhythm and our hormones, digestive system, gut microbiome and, and, and beyond. It really works great because I do a similar-ish eating window, but I don't wait that long to eat because during the first yeah. half of our day, we're doing so much. You know, We're moving, we're grooving, our brains are firing, we're at work, we have all these stressors, good or bad, and it's important to fuel your body. Uh, so I'm more of a proponent of breaking my fast at, you know, maybe nine or 10 AM and then not eating anything within four to five hours of bed. So I'll eat dinner at about 5 PM and uh, okay. fast for the latter part of the day. And I find the sleep quality skyrockets, metabolic health improves. You get so many beneficial uh, downstream effects by just front loading more of your nutrition during the day and not consuming many late night meals. And I will say, not as ideal for people's schedule. I get that, you know, especially yeah. if you work till six or 7 p.m., then you get home, you start cooking dinner. But if you can make it work, it's highly effective. And I don't know if you have any thoughts to share on that. I would agree with you because I have tried that as well and I have found better benefits from it. But for me, sometimes I get just want to get all my tasks done that I actually forget about eating. I'm like, oh, hang on a second, I've got to eat. Yeah. So, but I do agree with you. The earlier you do it, I found the, the you get... Uh, I found the um, your body composition of like you know fat and everything like that will become better because your body's utilizing things in a different way. I found my sleep was more sound. I found um, yeah, you're right in terms of like it's. I think if it is better to start at ten probably than finish at six, but it's just how my lifestyle is that I chose the 12, 12 to eight general basis. So yeah. Totally. No, I get it from a lifestyle perspective. Sometimes what's yeah. ideal is no feasible with, you know, real yeah, world application. Right. But uh, yeah. let's talk, let's mention one, one last thing on this topic. You know, we got fasting, we got sleep, we got some targeted nutrients. What is going to be another factor for optimizing longevity from lifestyle perspective? From lifestyle perspective, it's obviously stress levels. Um, and, and that incorporates, you know, stress levels in terms of emotional, but also um, biological stress. Um, so, you know, stress levels, if we need to have cortisol, low, too low cortisol is not good for us and too high, it's, it's, it's not good for us either. So it's really regulating our stress and that can be done through nutrients. Um, if people are low in magnesium, do we need magnesium to regulate our stress response? Um, we can use adaptogenic herbs that will help us um, have our stress response as well, which is like ashwagandha is a really good one. Um, studies show that this will lower your stress cortisol levels by 60% over a four to eight week period. 
Um, but with beside, besides the nutrients or herbs, we can really lower our stress response by, uh, by making sure that uh, obviously not working yourself to the roof, having really good um, relationships around you, people that give you a sense of well-being. These will help, obviously, as I was saying before, the emotional mental state is a really good thing that, for our physiology. Um, so really the stress and having good stress like exercise, making sure they incorporate the good stresses in our life. And when it comes to overworking or, or having too much um, emotional stress, meditation, things like that, things that make us feel good. Uh, even for me recently, I've um, getting in touch with my inner child by getting a, a electric skateboard and getting, cause I used to skateboard when I was a kid. Um, so do, getting, doing things that have a nostalgic feeling allows us to access our inner child will help us relieve stress and bring on, you know, feeling other feelings that we haven't had in a long time. And these can actually help our, long, our longevity effects as well. If we feel like we're old and the, the weight of the world is on our shoulders, we're going to, and we, if we do that for too long, we're going to obviously have uh, the body's going to start giving out in some aspects. Um, and we need to really address those things. So it's about keeping that vitality in life uh, yeah. and lowering that stress level and yeah. just, how, you know, and uh, having those good, good emotions that we, we generally, as adults, we get caught up in life and we think, oh, no, I've got to do this, I've got to do that. But it's, you've got to take time for yourself uh, and, uh, and, you know, and work on yourself with meditation and activities and lowering the stress and, and actually getting away from the hustle and bustle. You know, because that's, you know, we, we go down our life, you know, working, I've got to be this, I've got to earn this money, and we neglect, we neglect our health until it's too late. And it's better off to balance those things out. So, yeah. Yeah, man, I love the saying so many people sacrifice their health for financial pursuits only to then spend all their money trying to regain their health when it falls apart later in life. It's like, yeah. it's so backwards. <laughs> yeah. uh, but stress management, huge. The only thing I'd add to your list, which was fantastic, is the power of proper breathing techniques, you know, everything from yes, slow nasal breathing and box breathing to actual more intense forms of breath work and how that's just such a powerful gateway to monitor and change our bio biology and change our stress yeah. levels. And so quickly and so effectively, it's accessible to anyone, anywhere, anytime. We always have yes. our breath. And yeah. so, so few people know how to use that as a tool to de-stress and to really get in more in touch with their emotions and their mental state. So uh, I could go down a deep, deep rabbit hole with breath work, but we'll save that for another I time. I got into it as well. I got into pranayama yeah. breathing with uh, Kundalini yoga. That's where I was yes. first introduced to it. And it's really powerful, really powerful. And some of the states you can bring yourself into and you can really adjust your biology and your mental state very quickly with yep. just the breath work. Yeah, it's, it's 100%. So I want to switch gears. I want to talk about uh, drug education and drug rehab. You know, so yes. many people are dealing with substance abuse issues and now more than ever, ever since the pandemic, you know, people are really you know, locked up at home and really have a lot of vices, whether it be alcohol or other harder drugs. And I know you have uh, extensive uh, knowledge in this topic and a past history uh, overcoming yeah. some of these issues. So I'd love you to one, share a little bit about your story uh, in the past mm -hmm. coming to where you are today. And then I want to dive into some ways that people can really start to break addictive tendencies and really recover from any type of uh, drug abuse. Yeah. So my past with um, substances came down to my mother passed away when I was 14 and I had a really good relationship with my mother, um, you know, but 
and then when she passed away, she was the centre of the family. Um, you know, my dad had to look after my sister and I, and I had a bit of a difficult relationship with my father. Not that he was a bad man at all. He was a very loving man. What he, the things that he did came from love, and we have a really good relationship now. But as males do, we can have, you know, conflicts. And so, like, I left home and I started working in nightclubs and I got into a bit of a cocaine addiction. Um, but then at 23, so that was from 18 to 23, at 23, I actually turned around and was like, what am I doing with my life? And I could saw it was going quite a bleak path I was going down. So I decided to just change from there on. You know, and I did have people try to help me throughout that time, but unless I wanted to help myself, it wasn't going to change. And generally when with addictions, if someone wants to change, it comes from you. People will give you the information, but you have to take that information along with it. Addictions primarily stem from what the studies are showing is that not the drug itself is addictive because we can have patients go into hospital, they get dimorphine from month after surgery, which is more powerful than heroin, and they'll come out and they're not addicted to it. And how, you know, opioids are some of the most physically addictive substances on the planet, but then why isn't this person that was just in hospital getting this drug for so long addicted? Now, the drugs essentially help us feel an emotional void that we're not addressing. Each drug will have a different emotion associated to it, what it makes us feel. And then that, that addiction will, will come about because of that, like that void, like I said, we're not addressing. So once we become, and this is generalized, but a lot of our issues that we have in life stem from our family. We're programmed from our family. Um, you know, our family is essentially everything um, in terms of how we're made and how well grounded we feel in life. We have uh, a disgruntled family issues. Generally that plays out within ourselves in life. So generally we, if we address these issues with our family or, or address them not just you know one-on-one -on -one, but address how you view things um, and uh, your perspective on certain issues this can help you, you address your um, addictions so what comes down to it is that when we're addicted you know obviously to the substance and people find it hard to get off the biochemical aspect of this is what we're seeing is addiction primarily comes down down to dysregulation of glutamate um, and then because essentially the brain is computer and your habits will uh, will build those uh, programs in. Now, with the glutamate system, if you once become addicted to a substance, this can be cigarettes, anything. When a glutamate is the, the main excitatory neurotransmitter in the brain, taking up about 70% of the excitatory neurotransmitters. Um, and then when this becomes dysregulated, you become addicted to the substance because the brain is actually programmed to give you a suggestion. So even if you want to stop the drug, the brain's going, hey, man, what about this? What about this? And we'll give you the suggestion over and over to you, like, oh, and you give into it because you want to get rid of that annoyance within yourself and address the emotional void. And then, the, then that suggestion will go away. So what we found in studies, and I found this to work really well, not only for myself, but patients, because I see a lot of patients with uh, drug, drug um, problems, is that once we give them an amino acid called N-acetylcysteine or NAC, um, NAC also has a number of great functions in the body, helps clean out the liver by increasing your master antioxidant, which is called glutathione. Um, but what NAC also does, it helps um, regulate the glutamate system helps get rid of excess glutamate. And you'll find over a two to four week period, it will actually dampen that voice that will be telling you to take the drug. 
And it's really subtle, but it's really profound as you get to that stage. About the two-week mark, you'll notice that, oh, hang on, I'm not thinking about it as often. Or my brain feels a lot more stable that you don't seek the drug to give yourself the stability that you're looking for. So, um, I've, like I said, I found a lot of benefits with that. Well, I want to stop you there and just unpack that because I think that's dynamite advice for anyone listening in uh, and really powerful. I've, I've seen some, I've read some of uh, anecdotal evidence uh, basically confirming what you're saying with N-acetylcysteine. Yeah. What type of dosing would you use? Uh, and like, what would that look like if someone's listening to this? They're like, dude, I'm trying to quit X, Y, or Z. Let me pick some of this stuff up. What's some information they're going to need to do that effectively and safely? So you can take this extended release, all these instant release. It's up to you how you feel. I think the extended release is good to go for because it will give you that extended you know, release during the day and help give you more control. Although um, I often say this to people with the knack, because it is a sulfur, uh, has a lot of sulfur in this compound, you will get quite, uh, quite smelly flatulence from it if you combine it with your food. So um, I like to tell people to take 1,000 to 2,000 milligrams in the morning on an empty stomach. This will set you up for the day. Um, this will help make you feel stable. Generally, um, a good starting dose is 1,000, and you can put it up to 2,000 depending on how you react to it. Um, I will make, make a point that some people will have an uh, allergic reaction to sulfur compounds, so make sure that you don't have any of these issues before you start taking it. Um, and then you can, like I said, build it up. You may get to a stage within the two to four week period that you'll find if um, you become a bit dull sometimes because you, because you're regulating glutamate so much, you might find that you can't get excited about general things in life. It's a very small side effect. Not many people get this, but if you do find you can be coming quite neutral in a lot of things, just back off of the dose and bring it back down to a thousand milligrams. But yeah, generally within the ballpark of a thousand, two thousand milligrams at the start of the day on an empty stomach away from food for about like, you know, you don't want to have food about half an hour to an hour after you take it. So it gets absorbed properly and you don't get all those um, other side effects with it. So, and would this be appropriate for virtually any substance abuse? Yeah, so far from what we're seeing, um, helps alcohol abuse, helps uh, marijuana abuse, even methamphetamine abuse. So it really goes across a lot of um, a very varying range of different drugs. Um, and they're looking at into a, a lot of different ones as well. I'm not I'm sure, I'm pretty sure they're looking into opioid abuse. But I know that these things all come down to drug, any drug of choice will cause a dysregulation glutamate. So I think this is really going to help. And plus it helps, you know, detoxify the body. Um, if you, you know, it comes with a, an array of benefits of um, if you have, um, you know, asthmatic problems or any, um, you know, phlegm in the chest from being sick, it actually helps um, dry up and, and, and detoxify the mucosal membrane within your lungs and actually helps you breathe better. Um, like I said, it also helps the mitochondria as well. Mm. So it helps um, clean up your mitochondria, which will help give you more cleaner energy during the day. So there's a range of benefits that come with this, not just helping with drug addiction. And just to rewind a second to give people some context, can you just explain the glutamate system for folks listening in that are just like, I've never heard of this before, uh, what that is specifically, how it works? Okay, so with glutamate system, as I said, it's it's most excitatory neurotransmitter. Um, you'll have other neurotransmitters of the body that will either excite or inhibit. So you know, uh, serotonin or GABA will help keep you calm. They'll inhibit you. Um, dopamine works in both ways. Dopamine will excite or inhibit you, depending on where part, what part of the brain it's working on. 
But glutamate is essentially the part that what's stimulating you. So if you take a, you know, if you take an amphetamine, it's activating your dopamine receptors, but then that has a secondary effect into your glutamate system that excites you, keeps the brain active, um, it keeps you thinking. So yeah, it's um, glutamate works in a, in a primarily with all neurotransmitters. Um, how I see how neurotransmitters work within the brain is that there's a whole neuro um, cocktail. And the, uh, they, your brain's like an electrical um, uh, vessel, but then has the neurotransmitters in place that will help balance out your conscious thought patterns. Um, so glutamate is one of those ones that keeps you excited, keeps you active, um, and that's how it works with the brain. Um, but like I said, once you get become addicted, that becomes dysregulating, become too active in certain aspects of the brain and your psychological nature. Moving okay. beyond NAC, what other interventions or therapies have you found to be really effective for someone going through some substance abuse? Uh, another one is um, DLPA. Uh, it's an amino acid um, that helps, obviously, uh, it's the precursor to the tyrosine. Um, L-tyrosine, and that goes into dopamine, the production of dopamine and norepinephrine. But when you take um, DLPA, uh, it will actually not just increase the stores of dopamine, but it will increase your production of endorphins. And our endorphins are a happy hormone, but also a pain relieving hormone. Um, you know, it, endorphins attached to our, uh, opioid receptors and things like that. So essentially like any opioid is kind of mimicking your endorphins. Um, so if we have, if we couple NAC with DLPA, I found it greatly helps people from what I've seen so far with some uh, quitting smoking cigarettes. I've actually given people a dosage of, I think it was 750 to uh, milligrams to 1,500 milligrams. And on the first day, they actually found that they didn't crave the cigarette at all because they're getting this, this increase of endorphins and dopamine, which you will get a hit from that when you have a cigarette. I had friends come back after the first day of taking it in a high dose and gone, I didn't think about it all at work. And the only reason why they had a cigarette was because it was a social aspect of it. So I think when we take the NAC with the DLPA, we're addressing the glutamate system, we're addressing the um, endorphins and dopamine release that you probably get from your drug as well. So you're attacking it from both ways. And this will help on a neurochemical level, give you the tool to take control of your habits. Because after the neurochemical aspect, what I find is you need to address is your habitual nature of, of substance abuse. So incorporating or something to replace it that will give you um, feelings of well-being. And then the last step is obvious to, to address what's causing you the, the harm or the, the emotional void that you, you, you lack within yourself. Yep. One thing so, I want to yeah, yeah, one thing I want to ask just before we get to the last component, which I think is the most important, when it comes to the DLPA, which is just phenylalanine, if I understand it correctly, yeah, that's right. um, you found it to yeah. be more effective than tyrosine. Because I've used tyrosine in this scenario, like you're saying, as a dopamine precursor to help with people that have dysregulated neurotransmitters and have really worn out the dopamine yeah. in the circuitry. So you would prefer phenylalanine instead of of tyrosine. Is that correct? Correct. And yeah, because if you go tyrosine, you're not getting any endorphin production. Got it. And what dosage would um, you would you use for the for the phenylalanine? 
so far 750 to uh, 1,500, depending on how you respond. I've had people find sometimes a bit too stimulating. They'll get too much of the dopamine production. Um, so I'll start off the low dose and work your way up. Generally, I'll take that in the morning with the NAC as well. Got it. And would this be appropriate too for people like, let's say myself, I love to feel good and up yeah. dopamine in healthy and non-deleterious ways. Uh, and I've experimented with tyrosine and seen benefits of just having more motivation and focus and energy throughout the day. Would this also be appropriate for people, drug addiction aside, who just want a little edge, uh, so to say, like almost uh, use it as a nootropic? Most definitely. Um, the good thing about this is like, as I said, you get endorphin, um, incre increase endorphin, endorphins as well. And anyone with pain issues, they'll find if they take this over about a month, they, they actually have lower um, a pain, they have a, a higher pain thresholds, should I say. So it will actually help your pain response in the body. But in terms of a, in terms of a dopamine and motivational thing, yeah, I, I, I can definitely see that working. But the other thing is to my perception of uh, nootropics and how we should use things is that it, it, it's, I don't like to take precursors to neurotransmitters too much or too often, um, because often if you're taking one, you're going to put off the, um, the production of another neurotransmitter. Yeah. So if we want motivation, I, 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 I prefer people look into substances that will help activate receptors or, or even upregulate receptors um, so that your baseline becomes higher that you don't need a stimulant. Um, to feel awake or active. Um, that's the way I'd like to go about it. But definitely you can use um, the DLPA. The good thing is about it is that you need um, not just the L version because all our amino acids come in at L tyrosine or L something. Generally the D version is inactive. But the good thing about DLPA is that it works on both the tyrosine and the endorphin production. So you make sure that you get that specific one. Got it. Well, I want to finish one more loop with the addiction side of things. And I do want to dive into some of those uh, nootropics you alluded to that you would prefer over these precursors yep. for boosting motivation, because I think that's a fascination to pretty much everyone. Um, so you mentioned just kind of getting to the root of the emotional distress of, of really what's causing yeah. you to feel this need to fill this void. And, and in my experience, the most powerful, profound technique I've ever discovered for this is transformational breath work, which is a deep, long form variation of holotropic breathing. And it literally quiets the ego and puts you into this space to let go of past trauma, to release these emotions. I'll have to invite you to my next class. I do them every month uh, online. Yeah, awesome. They're, they're mind blown, man. It's going to blow your socks off. Uh, but I'd love to hear your, your take on this of what you found that is very helpful for, for that. So like you said, the holotropic breath, breath work is great. Um, stuff like Wim Hof that people have heard of before, all that kind of stuff, all the breath work's really, really good for that. When it comes down to addressing the issues though, I found that some people have different things that will activate them. So the breath work is great. It helps get you in touch with yourself, helps to see your mind, the monkey mind, and what things will come up within your thought pattern. Um, it, for me, it's, it's um, the things that have helped is actually noticing how it takes conscious effort with this, but every issue that comes up and why it triggers you that, the way it does, it's actually a, a self-assessment thing. So why am I getting triggered by someone saying this? Why am I having these certain patterns every time with relationships? Or, you know, it's actually analyzing you. And it's like I said, it's hard for people to really turn around and look at themselves and going and taking responsibility of their own actions and not blaming other people because we're really good at blaming other people. Oh, I'm like this because of this person and so on. But no, taking the responsibility going, hang on a second. 
I'm being like this. I'm reacting like this. Where is it coming from? And really addressing it and delving deep. And it might not come up straight away. You might have to do some journaling. You might have to sit there and meditate or do the breath work and you might find the answers coming through there. Um, I like the saying that answers are in the silence. So really address yourself without the, um, without the um, distractions of other things because we're really good at distracting ourselves. And then really what I've found personally that, that helped me really witness and see these things for how they were, how they are is psychedelic um, therapy and psychedelic psychotherapy um, where, you know, generally with psychedelics, when you take them, they bring up aspects of yourself that you weren't aware of sometimes. And, and then you can witness them in an altered state of consciousness and, uh, and address yourself and address the issues and see that, you know, from myself with family and everything like that, I, I, you know, we all blame and we always have this anger and, oh, you know, this person did this. But then I could see that, hang on a second, through the psychedelics is that, hang on, they were acting in the best way they, the best way they could, even uh, because they believe that they, if I lived their life, I'd probably act that the same way. So you can have compassion for people and your perspectives and what's happening in life through altering your consciousness through these through these tools. Um, I don't look at them like uh, you know. I look at these things as transformative um, tools. I don't look at them as you know normal drugs that people take for recreational purposes. Yes, people take them for you know, those reasons, but I think they're much more powerful use in the right set and setting and with the right intention. And this is the way we can really delve in deep um, and address these things within us. That's a massively important caveat and I couldn't agree more. And I definitely want to have you back on the show to dive deeper into psychedelics. But just as we wrap up our conversation today, I'd like to switch gears into nootropics, an area I know you're a real expert in, and just to share a few of your favorites for different uses, um, you know, because these are now becoming readily available to pretty much everyone and they have a great safety profile, you know, for the most part, depending on which ones you're going with. And some of them have a lot of net positive effects long term, uh, which is the really fascinating part, because a lot of, you know, more well known smart drugs like Adderall or Ritalin or, or Modafinil, you're kind of robbing Peter to pay Paul, you know, yes, you might be feeling fantastic today, but it's going to be deleterious long term to your overall health and also your neurological function. And so I'm always fascinated with any type of compounds that you kind of have your cake and eat it too. like you get the benefits. And it's not like it's shooting yourself in the foot long term. So share with uh, people listening in. I know we talked about motivation. I think that's a huge problem for people with with dopamine in that they just yes. they get to their their work and they're like having trouble getting started. They procrastinate. They just don't have that level of just drive to get shit done. So what yeah. what are your favorite one or two of your favorite nootropic compounds for for that? Okay, so with uh, like I said, I, I like to concentrate on increasing the brain's health and receptor count and helping balance those things out. Having a stimulant all the time is obviously going to put that off. Like I said, Adderall, if, uh, even coffee, things like that. People become reliant on a stimulant to get through their day. And it shouldn't, I believe it shouldn't have to be like that. Um, so what I like to take is a very simple, these are natural ones, is most people know it as the Mr. Happy stack or what we call the uridine stack, which is uridine monophosphate, um, a choline source, which you can either be alpha GPC or what I like is citocholine, um, because specifically citocholine, or some people might know it as uh, CDP choline, this will actually work to increase your dopamine receptors over time. So you're going to get more motivation from that. 
yeah. coupled with the uridine, you're obviously going to get that dopamine receptor increase as well. And then you add uh, from fish oil, or if you want a, a vegan source, you can add DHA in because the brain is essentially 80% DHA, um, a, a certain fat. And then if we have these three together, they work synergistically to help repair the brain, increase what we call the phosphatidylcholine of the brain, the layer. And then also, like I said, the dopamine <clears throat> receptors. So you, over about a month to three months, I like people to take a good three months. So they get all the, uh, those beneficial aspects of it. You will find your motivation increases. Your memory is going to get better as well. From what I've seen myself is after taking it for three months, um, totally staying, I don't drink coffee anymore, but I used to drink coffee. Um, totally staying away, staying away from any stimulant. You'll notice about three months, I just started getting excited and motivated to do just anything. I'd be at work one time, but I feel, you know that excitement that you get when you know you're going on holidays the next yeah, day? Yeah, oh, yeah. I'm seeing that on a daily basis, like, hang on, what am I excited about? But I don't quite know why, but it feels pretty yeah. good. Yeah, it's so, best. Yeah, so that's that's one the you know the three compounds I would suggest people start with. Yep, and and, and one thing I wanted to dive into with you on that topic of choline, which I think is yes. absolutely essential. I really love to get it through a food source. So I add lecithin granules to my smoothies because it's one of the best food sources of phospholipids like phosphatidylcholine, phosphatidylserine, uh, as well as things like egg yolks or walnuts. You know, there's some great food sources. Yeah. Do you advise people getting like a Citicoline or uh, alpha GPC as a variation of that instead, or do you do you also agree with me of getting it through a, a natural source? Everything's better in a natural source, definitely. If we can get it through our food, fantastic. Uh, I just don't believe uh, if we really want to get those high therapeutic effects. I think sometimes it's good to have the supplement with it as well, just to make sure we're reaching those certain levels. You know, um, it, but it all depends on the person. If you find you're getting enough out of the food, fantastic. Yeah. But like I said, I, I, sometimes I'd like to just start off with the supplement. Start off with the food if you want to add the supplement in. But really, if you want to hit those high therapeutic doses, and I'm one person that believes in sometimes attack dosing. So really getting the doses up, finding if you get the therapeutic effect. Um, it depends on the person. Elderly, you don't want to do attack dosing. You want to obviously work your way up and start with smaller doses. But people around our age. If you really want to find the benefits, I like to go for, you know, don't go into high doses, but yeah, I like to start with the supplements as well, just to see if you get the effect and then you can come off it and see if you can get it from food as well. So, but yeah. food is generally generally where I'd like to start and it's the best place to get all our nutrients anyway, because it's the most natural form. Yeah, totally. And, and egg yolks being one of the best, but people also don't realize that when you cook the egg yolk, it damages the choline. So you got to get those suckers yeah. runny or raw. I just load them right into the <laughs> yeah. smoothie. You don't taste yeah. them. It works like gangbusters, dude. Uh, but the yeah. other thing with the lecithin, which would be considered more of a supplement, that even though it is a food source, um, yeah. that you mean with a, a decent, like an average dose of lecithin, you're getting, you know, two to two and a half grams of, of phosphatidylcholine, which is a pretty hefty dose. Uh, and yeah. definitely gets the job done in my book. Um, but yeah, that's awesome to share. And if you want to share uh, one other nootropic, uh, aside from that stack uh, that you've just tinkered with a lot or find uh, particularly helpful for most people. Okay, so there's one that's just come out uh, from Nootropics Depot. Um, so I've used 7,8-dihydroxyflavonone um, before, which is an extract from a plant that mimics um, BDNF in the brain. When I've used that one before, I found I got a little bit of anxiety. It helped, but it, I got a, yeah, I'm just prone to anxiety myself. They've actually created this new compound called 4DMA78DHF. Um, 
So they've taken the, <clears throat> the compound in 7,8 DHA and then altered it. So it's become more bioavailable uh, and the way it works within the brain is longer, but then it's more stable. And it has actually possesses a higher antagonistic activity to what we call the TRKB receptor, which is the receptor that um, BDNF also attaches to and causes the, um, the overall proliferation and uh, synaptogenesis of the brain and the brain cell. I've been using this recently for the last month, eight to 16 milligrams a day and noticed dramatic effects in my uh, motivation. The way I feel about myself, I feel more stable. Um, and the good thing is, is with the prior studies with the 7-8 DHF, we found that that actually helps repair some aspects of the dopamine system. So I think this compound is actually increasing these uh, aspects even more. Um, it is quite a new compound. Um, so there is, with anything new, there's proportions you want to take but I found really great results from this new one. And it's, as I said, it's helping the overall health and, um, and repair of the brain. It's not just working like a nootropic um, supplement that's stimulating you. Because I've always been one to, if we look after the, the brain and its, and its health and neuroplasticity, then you know, it's going to function a higher baseline with, and then you might not need nootropics um, that will help stimulate you or anything like that in the future because your brain is already in an optimal state um, in terms of health-wise. Yeah. I'm excited to try that one. Um, just so I, I'm not sure if I'm understanding you correctly because I just tried searching for it. It's Can you spell it out? 7-H-D-A? <clears throat> so so it's the, the new compound is 4-DMA-7,8 DHF. Got it. I found it now, man. That is a complex name. I got to get some. So no, I, I, I've, uh, I've been, cause I was a bit hesitant because the, obviously the just compound seven, eight DHF was um, like I said, so I'd start off with it and it'd be good. And then I'd later on, I'd find just a bit stress, stress levels. I don't know why it could be the way it's metabolizing in the body. A lot of our side effects come from the metabolism of substances. So sure. it could possibly be that. Um, but I've found this compound doesn't have that anymore. It's a lot smoother. Um, you might find there is a bit of a stimulating effect, but it's not a stimulant. And um, like I said, I just feel a lot better, calm, stable during the day. My mind's functioning at a, at a better baseline. And even days when I don't take it, I find that there has a semi-permanent effect as well. So it's really interesting. I love it, man. I absolutely love it. Um, I got one more thing I want to ask you before we close up today. I know we're running up on time. Uh, when it comes to biohacking the party environment, and this is a question I get all the time, specifically alcohol, you know, I know you have expertise in other things like MDMA and, and others, but, you know, people want to know, hey, Ryan, if, you know, I'm going to go out, have a few drinks on the weekend with my friends, what can I do to minimize the damage to my body and mitigate any hangover and I tell them about, you know, using activated charcoal and glutathione and, you know, uh, you know, magnesium and vitamin C and higher in a more appreciable amounts, but I'd love to get your take on if there's anything unique you recommend in that scenario. Well, generally all things when it comes to drugs, um, they can go across the board. Um, you know, obviously I specialize with the MDMA and helping the neurotoxicity with that. With alcohol, the same, the same thing, there is toxic natures to it. So, one thing is it really puts off our electrolyte balance with most drugs as well. When you're doing it, it dehydrates you. So one thing is electrolytes, yep. you know, yep. get those into you. That's one easy thing. 
Um, B vitamins is another thing and keeping a good antioxidant profile in your body to keep up, uh, to clean up any um, oxidative stress um, and free radicals. So generally I like uh, vitamin C, vitamin E, like you said, glutathione is good too. You can take NAC, but some studies are showing do not take NAC with alcohol because it can actually exacerbate the damage of the alcohol for some funny reason. So mm. you need to take NAC before and then some period after the alcohol, not during. Um, yeah, like glutathione and other antioxidants I really love is astaxanthin and R-alpha-lipoic acid. Make sure you get the R version. Most of the supplements will come with the R and the S version. The S is synthetic. They've shown not many benefits to come from it and it only lasts. I think it's like 10 to 30 minutes within the body and, and then it doesn't really do much. So make sure you get the R version because it's the most natural. And I love alpha-lipoic acid because it's also helping with glutathione levels, but it will also help regenerate both vitamin C and E because they become pro-oxidants after a while. Yep. So um, that along with, um, you know, just keeping the hydration up. If you want to, there is a herb that you, you can take, um, St. Mary's thistle. This is going to help regenerate the liver cells and it's going to help clean out the liver as well. But all these things coupled in with just, you know, just managing how, how your alcohol and how much you take. But really, it's, it comes down to your hydration and these other components within the body um, that get excreted with, with alcohol, which is your B vitamins and your magnesiums as well. And yeah, and just keeping the, the electrolytes up. I love it, man. Well, this has been amazing. Your wealth of knowledge, Luke. And uh, last thing, where can people find you if they want to learn more about your work? I know you do some virtual consulting, uh, helping patients with this type of stuff. So uh, where, where's the best pe place for people to connect with you? So people can find me on my website, which is alchemichealth.com. Um, they can also find me on Facebook, which is facebook.com forward slash alchemichealth. I do write articles uh, every two to four weeks. But, you know, generally I think on things I'm interested in, where it can be nootropics, it can be longevity. This year I'm focusing on is true drug education because I think that's one thing that we really lack in our society. We, we have a lot of scare tactics. We have a lot of people saying, just say no. But unfortunately, when someone says not to do something, you're more inclined to do it. So um, I want to uh, um, teach people about how drugs work um, what are kind of the dangerous combinations that come, can come from um, drugs and that people don't know of and the toxic effects. But with true education um, and then giving that to people, I believe they can make, make the right responsible decisions for themselves because they have that. And, if, and then if they do decide to go down the wrong way, at least uh, they understand what they're getting themselves into. So I write articles, you know, like I said, every two to four weeks. And then I do online consultations and uh, in-person consultations with anything in terms of just generalized health. And what I put within these treatment plans is I go to the uh, added uh, extent of some naturopaths will give you just a few things and you go away. And it's kind of like a doctor and I don't want to be like that. Um, I, I find it kind of disheartening because I just don't want to treat people like a number. I actually want to make cr and create really good changes in people's lives. So my treatment plans will have lifestyle um, changes dietary changes. I'll even give you some meal plans if there needs to be in there. I'll give you the su a whole supplement program because I'm a big biohacker. So you'll get like a good list of supplements that's going to address your issues or what you want to work on. Um, and they can range from anywhere from five to 10 supplements at a time. And I'll be stacking them together and explaining to you what they're doing. Uh, and then I'll give you a supplement program. You can also print off, put on your fridge and know when to take it, what day, what time. Uh, and yeah, so I like to go in depth. 
to create more change in people. Uh, and also, even if it's not a consultation, I'm just, I really want to get into teaching people. So I will be doing seminars soon. I will be doing talks at festivals to help people with their, you know, um, uh, you know, taking substances and, you know, as I said, educating people more um, because knowledge is power. And I want to provide that to people. I'm the same way. You, you can't just give people a few recommendations and send them off on their way. You got to address all the various lifestyle factors because that's how our bodies operate is you have to take it, take it from a holistic lens and understand that a couple of supplements is probably not going to be enough. You also have to fix the nutrition, get them moving their bodies, you know, everything we talked about sleep, stress, uh, and beyond. So thanks again, Luke, for coming on today, man. It's been a pleasure connecting with you. And we have so many parallels in our life that I didn't even know about when i invited you on the show of us both being uh you know from serbia and yeah. uh, my mom passed when i was 16 i didn't know about your mom but as we went through this conversation i quickly realized like wow this, we were meant to connect brother so appreciate awesome, the time awesome. today and uh and i look, we'll look forward, forward to doing some classes with you as well so keep me informed absolutely man uh thank you thanks a lot ryan